0: How's everybody doing? Good. Good. All right. So I know this is a lot of you. Maybe this this may be the first time that you guys are here. Um, let me just kind of lay a quick ground rule for you. Because I don't know what background you came from. I don't know the church at home. If you don't go to church, any of that kind of stuff. Um, but, like, you do. Please don't be rigidy and, like, awkward in here. Is that fair? Is that, like, this is not maybe your mom and dad's church. This is not what you think of church. This isn't any of that, like... You can be real, like if I ask a question, you don't have to raise your hand, you can communicate back. We're all humans in here. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. (laughs) One guy got it. Is that fair? Yes. All right, so if you have your Bible, we're going to be in John 4. Um, If you don't have one, there's a white one on some of the tables, page 514 in there. Um, If you don't own a Bible, please take that one with you. Uh, We've got some more if you need one as well. But we're going to be in John. If you have any church background at all. Um, we're going to try to get through 42 verses tonight, uh, so get comfortable. Um, but first, just a little bit about the branch and who we are and what we're doing. Um, this is awesome. Really encouraged, everyone is here. Am I allowed to you guys? Are you good? Okay. Because I, I carry very well. Uh, that's what my wife tells me. Uh, not weight vocally, but thanks for that. It's all in your eyes. Um, so tonight, we're going to just try to get into John and just kind of understand who we are as a church, because a lot of you don't know us. Uh, if you're a freshman, raise your hand real fast. Um, you raise a high, we know who you are. It's easy to pick out. You're fair. Okay. Um, so we're glad you're here. We're really grateful. Um, we are the branch. We turned two in September. So we're not even two yet. Uh, we're still in the potty training diaper phase. Uh, if we go like 30 minutes without wetting ourselves, we get an M&M. That's kind of where we are. Um, this is my wife, Brie. She's crazy pregnant. So I'm kind of getting into that wobble baby stage. Um so we're just excited. We moved up here a couple years ago from Gainesville to start this, and what we wanted, what our vision was, was this. Um we wanted to get after the campus with everything we had. We wanted to get after the families, we wanted to get after the empty nesters. We just wanted to be a church that was serious about making disciples into Lonega. Um so just because of all that we're gonna cover this morning or this evening, cool. I had a Red Bull earlier because I'm a little tired. Um now I'm a little wired, so we're just gonna have fun. Um We have tons to cover, so maybe over the next couple weeks you'll get to know us a little bit and a little bit about our church. Um, But tonight we're just going to jump right in. Does anybody know what a DTR is? Has anyone ever had a DTR talk? Does anybody know a Carly, why are you laughing? Do you know what DTR is? Yes. What's a DTR? Yes, defining the. So um, let me be kind of humble for a second. In college, I was what some people would call beautiful, okay? Um, I was just, I don't don't know. When you got it, you got it. It just happened. Um, A lot has happened since college. Um, But when I went to Georgia Southern, my wife knows. um, When I went to Georgia Southern, um, I was trying to run away from all that was in my hometown of Cummings. I'd just gotten in bad friends and bad social groups and just needed to get away. What's the farthest place I could go to and still hope? Georgia Southern, because Valdosta is horrible. Has you ever been to Valdosta? It's, it's ugly. It's, mm. At least like Statesboro is close to Savannah. So um, I went away, and in that time, my wife and I, we high school sweethearts were kind of on a break. And, um, I knew that that's the girl I wanted to marry, but uh, I knew I just wasn't mature enough to date. So we were still talking and all that. Um, well, there was a girl named, uh, well, there was a girl. Don't need to disclose any information. Um, that she recognized my beauty. Okay, so um, I was just trying to be friends. I was just trying to hang out, just do life together, just in communities, trying to meet people, kind of like you guys are, you know, um, and it came down to a point, 313 Florence Avenue was the house I lived in sophomore year, came down to the point, we were on our back porch, and she said, Gabe, I promise if I'm lying, Jesus kill me right now, this is a true story. Um, y'all watched like the filth that my wife watches, like The Bachelorette and stuff like that? Okay. <laughs> That's what you get excited about? I love it. So, we, like this, this should have been on camera, this should have been on film. Um, she said, Gabe, if you do not date me, then we can't talk. Basically, that was, the, that was what she said. So I stood up and said, well, have a great life. Walked in, boom, breaking hearts, right? So that was like our DCR. No lie, broke my foot not too long after that, moved back home, married my bride, and the rest is history. Crazy ironic, that girl married one of my good friends from Southern, and now they're financial supporters of the branch, which is just irony all over the place. So we're good, we're friends, and we talk. Um, But what we need to do tonight is have kind of a DTR. So like, what does this relationship really look like? But primarily, what does God's relationship with us actually look like? Because again, I don't know hardly any of you. We could have tons of different backgrounds and tons of different ideas of what we think God's relationship with us are, is... Uh, English majors, what is that? Yes, yes thank you. Um, but, we just need to look at the Bible and see what it really says. So John 4 is where we're going to be. And this is, again, this is a ton. This is a ton of text. So we're going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. Finished. Cool? Yes. Okay. Y'all having fun yet? No. <laughs> I mean, if you're not, you can leave. Um, So let me pray before we get started, and we'll dive right into John 4. Uh, Jesus, we're grateful. Uh, Father, we're grateful of what we're going to learn about you out of the scripture. Um, God, we're excited to to be your sons and daughters. We're excited about the relationship that we have with you. Uh, So God, as we look at how you interact with people, um, would we remind ourselves that that's how you interact with us, um, that we are important to you. So important that the length that you went to to get us back is uh, unheard of. So Jesus, as we get into Scripture, and as we have a big room of all different backgrounds, um, God, would we just press into what Scripture says about you, and what Scripture says about us. In your name we pray. Amen. So, John 4. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? good gracious. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making, or was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. If you, like, are okay with writing your Bibles and don't think you're going to go to hell for that, underline the word "had" Because we're going to come back and circle back to this word "had" Because here's who we have Jesus who's like Part of the Trinity can do literally whatever he wants to do. And so this word had just kind of should stick out to us. It's the mystery that we're going to talk about tonight. Why did he have to? Why did he have to? So keep going. Verse 5. So he came to a town of, Sam- called Sam- of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the Well, it was about the sixth hour, so it was mid-afternoon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, this woman is who we need to talk about. The, the Bible doesn't give a whole lot of detail about this woman, so there's going to be a little bit of conjecture, but we can take some context clues to figure out a little bit about this woman. Uh, first, she was a Samaritan, right? She was in some inside car and we'll get to that in a little bit. But the first thing that pops out is what she was doing at the well in the middle of the afternoon. Now, I don't know if you guys have been to like, Africa or some of these third world places where they don't have running water. But this well was about .7 miles away from the town. So she, all the women, would get up in the morning. Uh, like, Have you ever seen the groups of girls coming out of Starbucks and like, joggers and Starbucks? Okay, that's what would happen in the morning. A whole group of gossipy girls would get up and like put on their yoga pants and they would go to the well and talk about their husbands and talk about life and talk about drama. That's what would happen. So right off the bat we have to say, why is this woman at the well in the middle of the afternoon when it's hot? Because all these women would come get the water for the day, they'd bring it back, that's how they'd cook, that's how they would do laundry, that's how they would survive. So it's apparent that there's a couple of things going on. One uh, the woman is not part of that social group that would go in the morning. She does not get a trip, uh, venti white mocha. That's just not what she is. She's not part of that crew. Uh, boys, if you're a boy, don't order white mocha. Stop it. Get something more man. <laughs> so, that she wasn't part of that crew, and there's a lot to that. And two, we have to say, like, she hasn't, probably hasn't eaten much that day because there's no water to prepare food. So, from the beginning, all we know of this woman so far is that uh, she does not fit into the status of that town, And we're going to kind of dive into why. Well, we have to notice from the beginning that she does not, um, she does not fit in. There's a couple different uh, theories that we'll get into. Um, one was that she was a potential prostitute. So we'll get into a little bit later that maybe, I mean, Jesus had called her out on some sin. And so maybe that she had seen him from .7 miles away and said, hey, there's a single guy sitting at the well. I need some business, let's go. That's one potential theory of this woman and why she ended up. But regardless, she ended up face-to-face with Jesus Christ. And if you get face-to-face with Jesus, something in your life is going to change. It's going to. It's not possible to get that close to Jesus and experience His love and His grace and His mercy and not do anything with it. Okay? So let's keep going. Um, Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to Him, How is it that you, a Jew... Ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So in this, as we're building this mystery, verse 4 talks about how Jesus had to go. But right here, Jesus just broke two social norms. A Jew dealing with a Samaritan. Samaritans had taken some of the biblical traditions and just broke them and didn't care about them. Um, and so Jews and Samaritans already had a beef, but then men and women weren't allowed to talk. So Jesus, in this, just said, "I don't care about Jews, American stuff. I don't care about men and women. Let's talk. Give me some water." So, if you're keeping count, that's three things that Jesus has already done. That's a little odd that we need to pay attention to. So let's keep going. Verse ten: Jesus answered her, "If you knew the gift of God and who makes it, and who it is that was saying to you, 'Give me a drink,' you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water." Verse eleven: The woman said to him, "Sir." You have nothing to draw the water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and so did his livestock. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15. The woman said, Sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and not have to come back to draw water. Now, I wish we could camp out here. Um, maybe we can later, but we can't right now. But I just love the fact that she's totally oblivious to the man she's talking to. Um, I, I, asked, I asked my wife if I could share this for permission. Um, my wife is what someone would call just a little daydreamer, right? Um, she just sits there and just kind of spaces out. And I'm like, hey, baby, what are you thinking about? Nothing. So you're just staring off to nowhere, focusing on nothing. Yeah, pretty much. So a game that I've invented ever since we kind of got married, not kind of, we officially got married, uh, <laughs> was when I see her just kind of daydreaming off, I'll ask her a relatively easy question just to watch how she reacts. So one day we were driving to a daydream and I said, okay, hon, because I saw this on the book of the face, I said, hey, if, that was Facebook, come on, say with me, if we were going 60 miles per hour, how long would it take us to go 60 miles? Okay, we're going 60 miles an hour. Where are the math majors at? Good, no nerds here. We're going 60 miles an hour. How long would it take for us to go? Oh, yeah, there's the teacher of the year, math teacher. How long would it take us to go 60 miles? Pretty relatively easy question, right? But what happened is my wife just snapped out of a daydream It's like, oh gosh, um, How big are the tires? (laughs) Okay, uh, tell me about the road. How hilly is the road that we're going on? Um, Are we in the south or are we in the north? Because that makes a big difference, right? Uh, Just totally. She eventually got it. And when I asked her this morning, she was like, oh yeah, it's easy. It's an hour. But what had happened here is Jesus was talking to this woman and he caught her off guard. And she goes, "Um, I don't want to drink any more water. I don't want to have to come to this well. like, yeah, give me some of that stuff. Totally oblivious to what Jesus was saying. Totally oblivious to saying that I am the living water. If you are a part of me, what you're looking for, you'll never have to look again. You'll never thirst again. I will fill you. And so Jesus here has to change um, to a different style of argument, different style for her. I mean, what he's about to do just gets real awkward and real tense, real fast. So let's keep going. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. Verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you were right in saying, I have no husband. Uh, You have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Whew. Wouldn't you love just kind of be sitting there going, oh, snap. (laughs) How is she going to respond here? Now, there's two, again, there's two separate theories of what's happening here. Potentially, in the town of Sychar, she is a promiscuous woman. Potentially is a prostitute that she marries after she marries after she marries after she marries. But how many of you honestly know someone that's been married five times? I've seen three. I've even seen four. But five times is just a lot. And in a small town of Sidecar, that could be a logical explanation. But maybe another explanation is what if she was just um, broken and burdened? What if she had been divorced before? But then, what if she's just experienced a lot of death? Back then, there's a pretty high mortality rate. So, what if in her life she'd experienced, yeah, maybe some divorce, maybe some um, adulterous ways, but what if she's just had a horrible life? I mean, what after time after time? It's either a divorce or it's death, and then they remarry, divorce, or death, and finally she says, forget it. I'm just going to live with this guy. We're just going to make it work. Regardless of the two situations, and we can talk, it's called conjecture, we can talk about that later. Regardless of those two, here's a broken woman in front of Jesus. Here's a woman that doesn't have anyone to support her. She has no social group around her. She's going to the well in the middle of the afternoon. And whether she is a prostitute or whether she's just had a horrible go at it, she's standing in front of Jesus. She's having a face-to-face interaction with Jesus. And something is going to give. There's no way around it. So we can talk about her past. We can talk about our history, but what Jesus was trying to reveal is, hey, it's, it's you're broken. Five miracles that's not okay. You're, you're broken. Something is misfiring here. One of the most frustrating things we deal with as a pastor is this idea that we call it false maturity. Everyone wants to act like they're okay, and everyone wants to pretend that they've got their crap together. Everyone wants to act like, I'm fine. I'm okay. That's, you're You're good. And I'm telling you, if you want to be a part of the branch, that culture just, does not exist here. Because here's what's going to happen. The Bible is very clear. Either you humble yourself and Jesus will exalt you, or if you try to exalt yourself, Jesus is going to humble you. So if you're not being up front with Jesus, he's going to call you on your sin for your joy. So if you're here, and you're broken, and whether it's your own fault or whether it's just the fault of the world, the sin that we live in, you're welcome here. You're welcome at the table with Jesus. So let's keep going. Verse 19. The woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Um, Has anyone ever heard of the pivot? Let me me give you an example. Uh, Third grade, right? You're sitting on the playground in third grade. I could throw a football better than you. Yeah, well, your mom's fat. That's the call to pivot. And as we get into presidential elections and debates, you'll see a bunch of that. Will you tell us about the economy of the country? I'd love to answer that question. Here's what I'm going to do. I think we should give free ponies to everywhere. What? That was nowhere near the question. So what has obviously happened here is the woman just got really uncomfortable with what Jesus has her, and She's trying to pivot as quickly as she can. Okay, so, all right, I get it, Jesus. Maybe you've read up on me. Maybe you know a little bit about my story. Maybe some people you've talked to in town have already gossiped to you about who I am. Um, so I'm going to try to catch you, like, well, do you say this and you say this? What's the real truth? She's trying to change all the blame and all the attention away from her onto him. It's called the distraction, right? If you feel insecure, if you feel uncomfortable, you're going to go ahead and call something out to draw the attention away. But Jesus doesn't go with that game verse 21. Jesus said, "Woman, believe me, the hours coming where, the, where excuse me, the hours coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour' is coming and is now here, where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and in those who worship Him, must worship in spirit and truth. Now, hopefully, somewhere in the life of the branch, we'll be able to come back and dissect all that He said here. He took that pivot and said, "Okay, if you want to play that game, that's fair. Whatever your tradition says, or whatever my tradition says, neither of those matter. There's coming a day, and is now here, where the spirit of God will live in you, and wherever you go, whatever you do, you will worship Him there. I mean, we talk about this all the time." Uh, do you know, if you're new, that you know that right here, Tuesday night, a fat lady's going to sweat? So like, last week, we all got together and we made this an altar and we prayed for everyone. We prayed for town. People were kneeling down where fat ladies sweat. Gross, right? Yeah. I love this story because I love watching people get so uncomfortable. There's nothing special. Weight Watchers meets here on Tuesday. They have politicalness in here on Wednesday and they have basket weaving. Like this room, there's nothing special about this room. What's special is the spirit of God living in you and me and us coming together. So Jesus saying, forget all about that stuff. It doesn't matter what the Jews say. It doesn't matter what the Samaritans say. All that history, that's just distracting away because the king of kings is standing right in front of you. Don't worry about those arguments. Those I'm just going to put those to rest. You have to do with something. Jesus is in front of you. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, this is the pinnacle of their conversation. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So she's saying, listen, like, this is uncomfortable. You have some pretty good answers. You might be a prophet. You've called me out. But uh, basically this conversation is done because you're trying to act like Messiah. You're trying to act like the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything. You have a good day. Now, this woman probably knew the Old Testament. She had probably read Isaiah fifty-three, which explains that when the Messiah comes, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be abused, he's going to be destroyed, uh, he's going to be his body will be broken for the punishment of our sin. So, here is this woman who just found out the news of the century, whether she be a prostitute, or whether she just be down on her look, for some reason, Jesus has come, and chosen to reveal himself, to her, in the well, in the middle of the afternoon, now her response, is everything, again, I would love, does everyone love movies, I would love to see like, an actual movie, I would love to like, I know this time lapse, whatever, but, if there was drones back then, I would love to have a drone, just flying over this conversation, because we cannot see Jesus' facial expressions or his body expressions or any of that, but we can infer based on her reaction. Based on how she reacted, we can infer how Jesus was acting. Verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking about? So the woman left the water jar and went away to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I've ever done. Can, you, can this be the Christ? They went out of town and seen that were coming to him. So the reaction of the disciples is what she thought Jesus should have reacted by. Now, if you know anything about the disciples, they can kind of be a little cowardish. But that's kind of unfair because if like, you're standing next to Jesus, you're going to look like a fool every day, right? I mean, it's kind of like, those disciples are so stupid compared to Jesus, yeah, Jesus is perfect. Calm down. It's not a big deal. So, the disciples who reacted to this, they would never say it with their mouth, but it's written all over their body language. What does Jesus do when talking to this Samaritan woman? Why did he have to bring us through here? Because there is a trail. Jews did not go through Samaria for this reason. There is a road that would go around Samaria so that the Jews wouldn't have to interact. But Jesus said, We had to go through, we had to go through this town. Jesus said we had to, we're here. Now he's breaking two rules. He's talking to Samaritan, and he's talking to a woman. What's going on here? disciples are very confused. The woman sees everything that's going on. She leaves her water pail behind, and she runs into town. Now, body language matters. If Jesus called her out of her sin and said, I am the Messiah, and a little bit later, it says, I am the Savior of the world. Did she run back into town with fear or with joy? Joy. Thanks. Anybody hear name Joy? It'd be a lot cooler if it wasn't. So, did she run back into town with fear or with joy? Everybody say it with me. Joy. Joy. You're allowed to talk in church. It's okay. Fear or joy? Joy. Okay. Here's a woman not part of the social group in Sidecar, not part of the in-crew, does not sip white mochas with the ladies. She runs right back into town and is screaming, here's a man that's told me everything I've ever done, here's conjecture, and still cares about me. Here is a man who says he's the Christ, who literally told me everything that I've ever done, and still loves me. We would never confess everything that we've done to someone else for the fear of rejection, right? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you all my junk because you would not come back next week. But we do. I'll get to that later. So from the fear of rejection, she doesn't care anymore because of the love of the Messiah, because the Savior had talked to her, He knew her sin, and He still loved her. She goes running back into town Forgetting about her identity, forgetting about the people that she hated, forgetting about the people that hated her, and screamed to the rooftop. I think I've met this guy named Jesus. I think I've met the Messiah. He's a guy that told me everything that I've ever done, and he still loves me. You've got to come meet this guy. You've got to come meet this guy, Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 29. Come see a man who told me all that I've ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town. And we're coming to Him. Now, here's one of my favorite verses. This is John 4. If you were to flip back to John 3, everyone in their mom knows John 3.16. It's a great passage. I'm not knocking it. But the next verse, John 3.17, is what we get to see played out. So chapter after he had, Jesus had said this, we get to see it in real life. John 3.17 says that I didn't condemn the world. I didn't come here to condemn the world, but to save the world from condemnation. I did not come to condemn the world. So, you who are messed up, you who are broken, you who are sinful, I didn't come to you to condemn you. I didn't come to you just to send you to hell. I came to save you from the condemnation. I am the Savior. I'm the only one that can save. And listen to the results. Verse 39. We're going to skip over a little bit. We'll come back though. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that i would ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. Even more, why would Jesus stay with the Samaritans for two days? Verse 41, And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know now that he is indeed the Savior of the world. That he indeed is the Savior of the world. Now, here's where, and I don't know your church background, but here's where we have to camp out for a second. Did the woman run into town and tell everyone about Jesus to earn Jesus' love? Or did the woman run into town and tell everyone about Jesus because Jesus loves her first? It's an obvious answer, but it is difficult to understand in our walk with Jesus. Did the woman run into town and tell everyone about Jesus so that he could do something, or she could do something to earn God's love for her. Or did the woman run into because of the love of the Father that he had shown her in that moment? If I can peg the biggest problem with Christianity, it's that right there. If I can just, from my analysis, from meeting with people and counseling people, 99% of the people that have a misconstrued version of the gospel is that right there. As they feel like they are earning his love. I must go do this so that the Father would love me. Not, I'm going to do this because I'm loved by the Father. And Those two things are totally distinct. And here's where we kind of get some of this conclusion. Um, going back to the disciples. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have no food uh, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought to you something to eat? Uh, just oblivious to the whole situation. I love it because I can kind of be a moron too. And the disciples were just missing it. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who... Again, if you were taking notes or something, underline that. Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Do not say there are yet four months... Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. Verse 38 is where the page turns. I sent you, so God sent Jesus, now Jesus is sending the disciples to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Okay. Did everybody take a big sigh. We just hit 42 verses. Do I get a pay bonus? No. So, here's what we're going to land. Jesus was sent by the Father to accomplish the Father's will on earth. Was Jesus working? Was Jesus toiling so that he could do enough good things to earn Jesus or God's approval of him? No. Now we have to get this because this is what sets Christianity apart from literally every other world religion around. And this is what sets our relationship with Jesus basically separate from every other relationship we've ever experienced. That God sent Jesus to do his will on the earth, and Jesus was carrying that out not to earn his favor, but because God loved him so much. And so Jesus said, Hey, I'm turning around, I'm sending you out to accomplish my will on earth, and it's not so that you can earn my love, but it's because you've experienced my love so much so that you have to go do this. So much so that you have to go, because I've loved you so much, you have to go spread that love. It's a non- option for them. And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is what sets us apart from literally everything else. It's that God loves us. That woman freaked out and ran not because she was trying to earn his love, but because how much he loved her. So when we were starting this church way back, uh, I guess this was in 2013, we didn't really know we were coming to Dahlonega. We were praying about the Northwest. We were praying about tons of different options. Uh, and I was reading this book called Ant. Anyone ever read it? You should totally read it. I thought you were reading it. I was going to give you $100, but never mind. So, Just kidding so what we were going to do I was reading this book going through it this is the first book that I really read about church planning and a way to do church maybe a little differently um, and I was losing my mind over this so in this book he shares this story about them sitting around um, these two families moved out to Colorado not necessarily to start a church but to live on mission to invite people in to the kingdom of God so they're meeting around they're hanging out they're having people to their house constantly Um, one of the people said hey uh, is this thing a church Like, I'm a Christian now. I think I'm supposed to go to church. Like, is this thing that we're doing in church? And they're like, uh, maybe I should pivot here because I don't know what to say. No, this isn't a church. This is a faith community, whatever the heck that means. Like, they had no idea how to answer. So the conversation went on and they said, basically, a church is a place where you come and die so that others know the kingdom. That's what a church is. So we're just going to be a faith community. Until we have enough people that are willing to come and die. Because here's what we did. We moved to Colorado. Not me. Then. We moved to Colorado. And this is before they legalized weed out here. So we didn't move out here for this. We moved out here. You with me? Okay. We moved out here so that we would be uncomfortable. So that our preferences, that our abilities, everything about us would die. It would be nuts when we wouldn't want to have people over But people would still come over. There would be times when we wouldn't want to go hang out. Our kids are tired, but we would go hang out. Everything about us, our preferences, our needs, our wants, everything died so that you guys can know the kingdom. That's why we came and That's why we're here. And we're not doing this because we're trying to earn the love of the Father. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He came. He gave up his preferences. He gave up his status. He gave up his socioeconomic. I mean, here's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords sitting there getting beaten for my sin. Not his sin. He's falsely accused. He's innocent. But he gave all that up for me, so we're going to give all that up for you. So they said, hey, listen, um, think about it. Next week, come back and and we'll talk about if we really want this thing to be a church. If we really want to come and die together so that others can know the kingdom. So all, I think it was 13, all of them came back and said, yeah, let's do this. And here's some names that we're only going to, we're going to die to our preferences so that these people can know the kingdom. That's the kind of church we want to be. So what Jesus modeled for us, what the woman got and what the disciples struggled to get, was that Jesus was dying to his preferences. He was dying to what he wanted so that others could know the kingdom. So now it starts to make sense. Jesus had to go through the psychology. He had to because he knew that there was people that needed him. He had to go. He had to talk to a woman, even though that was not socially acceptable. He had to so that she could know the kingdom. He had to talk to Samaritans. He wasn't supposed to, but he had to so that others could know the kingdom. All of his preferences, all of his desires, everything that was right for him to do as a Jewish man, he laid all that down so that others could know the kingdom. And here's our DTR. Uh, that's what we're about at the branch. We are a group of people that have come together to die so that Delonica will know the kingdom. That's who we are, and that's what we do. Now, I know some of you going, uh, "That's some weird language." Uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, I like my life. Uh, this whole dying thing, I'm, I'm not good for that. Like, I thought I was going to go to college for a little bit, and I get a degree, and then go get like, I don't know, maybe a seven figure job out of college. Like, I'm, i kind of an entitled millennial. That's what I thought I was going to do. So, this whole dying thing, I'm not, I'm not okay with that. Here's, here's what it looks like. Maybe let me change this a little bit. Like I said, my wife's pregnant. We've got three kids. We've got one on the way. Every time we have a kid, a little bit of ourselves dies. No. <laughs> Not in that way. <clears throat> we had one kid. Cool. Let's go to Moe's. We can have fun. We can do it together. Like, we can tag team a little bit. Cool. That's fine. Let's go to Moe's with two kids. Yeah, we can still handle this. Like, we might eat a little bit, but like, we'll be fine will everything. More. Um, let's go to Moe's with three kids. Forget about it. We love you, we want to hang out with you, come to our house. Ever since we've had Emerson, our eating out budget has plummeted to almost nothing. We don't eat out anymore. Our preferences, because of our third kid, just and when we have four, I don't even know what we're going to do. Um, Like We're not going to have anything, we're not going to have anything that we want um, because we have four kids. But catch this, it's not what we're giving up, it's what we're gaining. I don't care that we don't get to eat out at Moe's or Hoka Hoka or wherever. That doesn't bother anymore. I would rather sit and play with my kids anyways. So when I'm saying come and die so that others can know the kingdom, what we're giving up doesn't matter because of what we're gaining. Like, here's a real life example. Any deer hunters in here? Okay, let me explain my deer hunting season this year. Ready? Um, Opening day is September 10th. You know what else is September 10th? A freaking daughter's first birthday. So scratch that off. You know what else is September 10th? My daughter's first soccer game. So, am I going to be bow hunting on opening day of deer season? Forget about it. All right, so let's fast forward. Do you know what happens to be opening weekend of gun season? My wedding anniversary with this punk. So, go ahead and forget (laughs) my wedding. I'm not going deer hunting on the opening day. If you don't like deer hunting, this probably isn't going to work out. It's just fine. I don't blame you if you don't come back. Do you know what happens to be? Do you know, guys, would know what no rut is? Rut's a really fancy way of saying like deer are getting knocked up. Okay, and it's so easy to kill deer when they're getting knocked up because they're only thinking of one thing. Uh, I'll let you figure out what that is. <laughs> you know what happens to be deer in rut this year? Baby number four is popping out. Do you know how many deer I'm going to kill this year? Oh, son, don't even, don't doubt me. <laughs> No, seriously, probably nothing. You know how many times I went deer hunting last year? Twice. Okay, so yes, we're having fun. Yes, we're joking around. Yes, I love to give a hard time. But at the core of it, do I really care? Do I care that I'm giving up deer hunting because of what I'm gaining, which is another daughter? Of course not. When I stood on that altar, October 17, 2009, when I married my bride, I knew that I would be giving up some of my preferences. I knew I would be giving up the way I did life. I knew that I was welcoming someone into my life and some things about my life would change. But did I care? No, because look at what I'm gaining. I'd give it all up to gain this bride. It doesn't matter to me anymore. Because of what I gained. So when I say as a branch, we are coming together to die so that Dahlonega and you and G can know the kingdom, can know the glory of God, what we have to give up to make that cost doesn't matter to us anymore. just doesn't matter because that's who we are. Because, and here's where we cannot get this out of whack. Does anyone know what legalism is? Okay, this can quickly turn into legalism. Oh, the pastor at the branch said, I need to come and die. I need to give up all my preferences. And I need to give up everything that I am so that others can know the kingdom. Then if I do that, maybe then Jesus will love me. Brother, I don't know where you heard that. That is not what I said at all. So there are three people in this story. There are three different characters in this story that we want to talk about. The woman, the disciples, and the town. The woman came to Jesus Talking, Jesus revealed to her who she was. She left her water. Right? The whole purpose of her coming out was to get at the water of the well. She left it and she ran straight into town. She had literally in that moment died to every one of her desires so that others can know the kingdom. And there's some of us in this room that get it and understand it. That Jesus has broken into our heart, that we have been overwhelmed by his love, by his grace, that as broken as we are, we have a king still loves us, and loves us so much that He chose to come and die so that we can know Him. He has 100% done everything for us. Don't for a second think we've done anything to earn heaven or earn the kingdom. There's no way. Can a dead man choose life? No. So if we're all dead in our sin and our trespasses, there's no way we can be born again. So there's some of us in this room that are the woman. There's some of us that are like the disciples. We just, we just don't quite get it. We're walking with Jesus, and we're teaching, and we're learning from His teaching, but we still kind of look at some things that He does, and just, oh, that doesn't really make sense to me. That's a good spot to be in. Stay there. Keep pursuing. Keep pressing in. Keep listening to His teaching till His love breaks out of your soul. For me personally, I was there for eight years before it actually clicked for me. Looking back, I was in that season for eight years where I was doing the right things and I was trying to study scripture. I was going to church. I was involved in community. But it took eight years for things to really click for me and things to go totally different in my life. So if you're in that season of walking and trying to learn, but this whole come and die idea doesn't really sound good to you, that's okay. Thursday I met with a guy who was having some serious doubts with his faith. And he said, "I know what you're going to say, to me. Like, I know you're going to tell me that I've been stupid, and this is, this is just. I just need to believe." And I'm like, "No, like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Have your doubts, but don't do anything without those doubts. So if you're doubting your faith, that's okay. We all do that, but don't just go, 'Well, I'm doubting, I'm out.' Look in, press into those questions." And if you meet someone that says they don't ever have doubts about God and His kingdom, you've probably just met a liar. I'm constantly doubting that God can actually provide financially for my family. Constantly. I just do not believe, like this whole Jehovah Jireh, He's my provider and all this kind of like, I don't believe it. I doubt it all the time. When I look at my bed house, I doubt it. When I look at my trajectory as a pastor, I doubt it. Do you know how many college kids are in this room? Do you know how much money you guys make? You know that you cannot support a pastor? Yeah. Sweet. I doubt it. It's okay to have your doubts, but doubt your doubts. Press in. So if you're one of those that are maybe not coming down, but you're still asking questions, then get involved here. Get involved in the community. We have a safe place to ask questions. For a lot of you, this is the first time you're actually starting to think on your own you're not having to follow mom and dad's rules anymore, that you're actually starting to think, maybe what my parents always told me wasn't true. Maybe what I've read isn't necessarily true. You're starting to think for yourself, and praise God for that. But ask those questions in a safe place, a safe community. If you come back on September 11th, we're going to split into eight missional communities. Get involved in one of those communities. It's a safe place to press in, to ask questions, to admit, hey, I don't really believe this. Like, I read this in Scripture the other day. Uh, I don't think that's true at all. It's a safe place to have that conversation. But the third person, the third group in this story was the town. There's no telling how many people are in eternity right now because of what that woman did. There's no way to tell how many people from Sychar believed in Jesus for the first time on that day and said, hey, listen, if you told her everything that she's done and you still love her, let me tell you about my job and let me see if you still love me. Let me tell you about, I mean, we say this all the time, if I could hook your mind up to this projector and shine it onto this, everything you've thought, everything you've felt, everything you've looked at, everything you've seen for the past week, who would want to sit in here while we did that? Not me, dude. I'm out. I'm out. I'll go ahead and resign, right now, y'all can watch my thoughts, and I'm going to be driving to, like, Kansas. I'm getting literally, like, no one knows me anymore. So what would happen if we had a Savior that actually, even though all that stuff on the table, He still loves us, and He still cares for us. He still chose, even though we were broken and sinful, He still chose to come and die so that others can know the kingdom. Now, if I could put a bow on this, it's 1 John 4, 19. That we love because he first loved us. So I don't want you walking out of this room going, well, I heard what the pastor said. Let me get my checklist out. Let me get all these assignments done. Let me, let me get this going because I need to do what the pastor said so that I can like, be a good Christian. What the heck? Stop that crap. Good Christian, do you know what Jesus would say when people would call him good? Someone tell them, what would Jesus respond to when someone called him good teacher? That's good. Exactly. So this whole idea, this thing my sermon, maybe I have to stop because I'm going to get in trouble, but this whole idea of like, good Christian, don't even put those same words in the same sentence ever. Good and Christian are as far opposite as they could ever be. It's not possible to be a good Christian. If you want to be like just transparent, to say you're a horrible human being, those are better synonyms. Good Christian is not. Now, let me, let me close with this. Let me land the plane here. There are some of you in this room, like me, like the woman, that you don't need me to tell you that you're messed up and you're horrible. There's some of you in this room that have been dealing with the same sin, the same struggles, the same thoughts, the same fears, the same doubts for years. So you don't need a guy from the stage to say, uh oh, you've been sinning this week, like, haven't you? You know what we're going to do with this sin? Oh, you're going to learn today. No, that's not at all what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is if you're that person, come face to face with Jesus Christ. See how he reacts to your sin. Come to the table. Have a meal with Jesus. I guarantee your life will change because you will experience a love and a grace and a mercy you've never experienced before. And if you're walking into this room going like, hey, like Pastor, I'm pretty good, man. Like I'm I'm okay. I don't really struggle with anything. Like, life is just good. Okay, please get involved in community because the uh, you know what's gonna hit the fans soon. And we want to be able to support you when it does. Because even though you might be in a good season now, eventually your sin will find you out. And just like Jesus, we want to be that community. This come and die to pick you up out of the muck and the mire and bring you to Jesus. Here's what I know. I honestly don't know much. Here's what I know. We're all sinful. We're all broken. And we have a God that loves us like crazy. And we're going to be a church that comes together and dies to our preferences and dies to our wants and our needs so that others can know the kingdom. And we're not giving up anything. We're gaining everything. If this church just sees one person come to Christ this year, we've gained literally everything. Because one more person is in with Jesus for eternity. So, what is our DTR? That's who we are. And if you're anywhere on that process from like completely pagan, hate the church, we have those guys coming here. Did you guys know that we regularly have atheists coming to our gatherings? We don't treat them any different. All the way up to like if you are the most committed coming and dying all the time. Like you literally right now have 16 people living in a one bedroom apartment with you because they didn't have anywhere to live. And then praise God you're here. Anywhere on that limit, that's who we are as a church. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we are... Honestly, God, we don't know how to respond to the love that you've shown us. Jesus, we don't know what to do with the fact that we know we're broken, and we know that we're messed up, and we know...